Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 19. I'm joined today with Chip Nelliger from Blue Reef Agri-Marketing. And Chip's, Chip's been on the show here a few times and, and I always enjoy his commentary and uh, and I like to get his insights on what's going on in the uh, in the market since that's how we most of our customers make their money. So, um, Chip, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks a lot. I always enjoy doing this and uh, always uh, kind of keeps me on my toes to uh, field your questions. Sometimes they're... they're uh, they're pretty good uh, and, and keep me thinking, that's for sure. Wow, appreciate that. Thank you. All right, so let's jump right into it here. So there's been a, a rash of, of hurricanes that have hit all pretty much the southern part of the United States and the eastern seaboard. Um, you know, Harvey kind of took its toll on uh, south Texas and up through the Tennessee Valley, it sounded like, um, dumping a lot of rain through there. And, and of course, the hurricane wind damage. Irma kind of went, went through uh, basically all of Florida, I think, got contacted by that. Um, Jose kind of spun off and gone up through, uh, New York and Boston up in that area. And then, uh, Maria did its toll on, um, Puerto Rico. So how are all those hurricanes having an effect on the, uh, the U S ag market right now? Well, you know, fortunately, I, I think at least from a row crop perspective, corn, beans, wheat, um, uh, we got through all those without much of a major hiccup. Um, you know, not that there wasn't, um, you know, some amount of standing corn, standing beans, uh, that maybe, uh, received a little damage from that, but by and large, we kind of, kind of, uh, you know, skated around that. In fact, the remnants of those, um, hurricanes as they moved up into like, um, you know, parts of, uh, uh, I'm going to say north of the Gulf anyway, you know, northern, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, um, Arkansas, Kentucky, there were some double crop beans that were um, awful dry. And, you know, the remnants of those hurricanes were able to push some pretty good moisture that would uh, probably greatly benefit those uh, later double crop beans. Um, so, you know, net net from a corn bean standpoint, it actually, uh, you know, in the big picture uh, might have actually been beneficial um, you know, due to the remnants of, um, you know, those uh, hurricanes and the rains that were left over from that. Uh, however, on the cotton side and the citrus side, uh, I don't think you can say the same thing. I think there was uh, a fair amount of damage, um, uh, you know, still in sanding cotton that was not harvested yet, as well as cotton that had been harvested and was maybe in modules uh, in the field. Um, a lot of destruction, um, you know, in, in several states. From that, and obviously, I think uh, they're still trying to kind of get the uh, uh, you know effects zeroed in on the citrus side in Florida, but it was uh, um, pretty catastrophic to a lot of trees, um, you know, oranges and and citrus trees uh, in Florida. So, you know, uh, probably more of an impact on the cotton side and the citrus side. Um, didn't seem to be much of an impact on the livestock side. And, you know, fortunately, although there's probably isolated areas of some damage, uh, for sure, we kind of got through it in pretty good shape on the on the row crop side of things. Yeah, last week I had uh, uh, Brad Chris from Shop of Farm Supply, and they're basically right around Houston is where their, all their locations are. And he said they have eight locations, and six of them were, were uh, dramatically affected, and two of them were in the uh, – kind of their the western part of their territory and it's got some much needed rain for their for their hay areas so um that that's a it, it was just such a devastating storm with the amount of rain that it dropped in that one just one specific area it was just a 
it's crazy how much how much rain came from that. Yeah, it's it's borderline uh, unimaginable. You know the the amount of rainfall at one time from that. It was uh, mind boggling for sure. So now a couple of the problems we have out there it seems like that are that are kind of causing some volatility in the marketplace. Which volatility is good. It does help you make maneuvers and make make some money here and there. But um, North Korea seems like they are. One day they're in the news, the next day they're not. It's almost like a soap opera effect where you never know what's going to happen. Um, how is North Korea affecting the marketplace, and, and what do you see as far as that kind of being a, a playing out here in the future? Yeah, you know, it, it hasn't directly um, affected us on, um, you know, our agricultural markets per se, but it does definitely have an effect on the financial markets, the currency markets. And so there's, um, you know, particularly on the, in the case of the dollar, um, that, um, you know, those fluctuations of volatility there does spill over and it, and it can affect, um, uh, you know, our agricultural markets, our grain markets and livestock markets. So, you know, so far, uh, it hasn't been, um, too uh, terrible one way or the other from a grain uh, or ag market perspective, but for sure there's been volatility in the financial markets and currency markets. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, that's not uncommon. You have, uh, you know, many times throughout a year, different political issues, um, you know, across the world that, that cause some financial market fluctuations. But the biggest thing to me is if, if it does go beyond that or escalate, turn into um, something greater, some sort of a conflict, um, uh, you know, shooting war, whether that's, uh, you know, boots on the ground or, um, you know, missiles, then that does spill over and the effects uh, really are unknown, but it could be dramatic. So, you know, so far it hasn't been, um, you know, much of a big influence, but it, it's definitely a, a wild card there and, you know, something that needs to kind of be watched and, and markets don't like uncertainty. And, you know, for sure, that is definitely an uncertain situation. And so if that escalates or gets worse going forward, um, you know, it, it absolutely could spill over. And, you know, we could see uh, effects uh, on the on our ag markets. But uh, so far, we've kind of skated through that without, you know, much of a huge issue. But it is definitely a, a wild card. And, and, you know, among other political issues, it's definitely something that's adding to potential volatility and potential uncertainty over the next several months. Yeah. So you kind of hit on it there a little bit when you're, when you were talking about currency. So how, how's the U S dollar playing right now with, with exports? Yeah, well, I mean, in a, in a big picture, um, you know, we've seen a correction lower in the dollar over the last uh, three months. Uh, we've come off those lows a little bit here recently in the last week or two and actually seen a little bit of strength. Um, but relative to six months ago, three months ago, the dollar, um, is, is well lower. Um, and we're back in a, in a little more competitive situation, uh, worldwide. Uh, you know, some of that is seasonal in nature when it comes to corn and beans and wheat. Um, uh, you know, it's partially about the dollar, but then it's partially about when we have supply versus other parts of the world and vice versa. And uh, so obviously right now we've got, um, you know, a big supply coming into harvest, uh, you know, at the early part of harvest on, on corn and beans, we've got supply and, you know, it, it's definitely helped. And that's something that, uh, you know, I think is more of a bigger picture thing. It definitely helps in the competitiveness of our ag products in the rest of the world as the dollar drops. Um, but, you know, probably more importantly, if the dollar would continue to drop, especially in the first uh, quarter of 2018, it could drive some additional rotation of investment money out of 
you know, say stocks and bonds and, and other financial markets into um, commodities in general. And if that happens, those are big, big pools of money that, um, you know, we're not talking 10, 20 million dollars. We're talking, you know, multiple billions with a B pools of money that, you know, kind of flow around um, at, at times. And so if that were a trend that we're starting to develop, and it could be a case because we're essentially at all-time highs in the stock market, um, you know, you could see some rotation out of there that could give us um, a bump and, you know, a nice uh, kind of the, you know, what's, what's the saying, uh, a rising sea lifts all ships type of a thing if the dollar continues to drop and you get a lot of money flowing into commodities in general as an investment. Uh, so that's something to keep on the radar screen as well. Uh, when it comes to the dollar. So Friday, there is a quarterly stock report that came out. And, you know, looking back on, the, on my, my text message alerts I get here, it looks like the uh, everything kind of went on a run and kind of settled down there towards the end of the day. But starting out this week, crop prices haven't been anyone. It looks like they've lost everything they've gained up through this afternoon so far. So what do you see driving that and uh, where do you see that heading? Yeah, so that quarterly stock report, um, I guess the best thing, it wasn't wildly bullish, but uh, it wasn't bearish either. I think that was the worst uh, fear was we're going to find a bunch of stocks of corn. And in fact, we came in um, and, you know, actually dropped old crop corn carryout and old crop bean carryouts. So it kind of underscores the fact that, uh, you know, we have great demand. We have really big demand in corn. We have record demand in beans. And, you know, these lower prices are kind of starting to do their, their job. So to me, it wasn't something that is just going to turn us and make us scream higher, but it was something that's just another feather in the cap uh, of, of the big demand side of, of corn and beans both. And it says that, uh, yeah, we're probably, um, you know, still going to grind sideways and chop around a little bit as we get, um, you know, the bulk of harvest complete here over the next several weeks. But it probably minimizes a big downside risk at this point um, in corn and beans. And obviously, as we go forward each month um, here, as we record this, uh, we're what about a week and a half away from the October crop report, where we get an update um, of uh, yields on corn and beans, and then any you know tweaks on the demand side of the equation. And so our final crop size here for this 17 crop is going to have a large, um, uh, you know, part in how low do we have to go before we hit a harvest low? Um, how high can we bounce, you know, post-harvest and on into winter and spring of next year? And, you know, I, I think what that stocks report from uh, a week ago told us was there's probably pretty limited downside in corn and beans uh, from this point. I would doubt if there's much more than um, you know, 15 cents max in, in corn from, from these current levels and 30 to 40 max uh, in beans. And there may not even be that much in either of them, uh, particularly if we get the report um, here on the 12th of October from the USDA that kind of confirms uh, unchanged or maybe, especially in the case of beans, a touch lower um, yield estimate, then I think that is a, another um, sign or big piece of evidence that you know, the worst is probably behind us and we can rally a little bit. Are you uh, bullish or bearish on that crops estimate? Well, um, in the case of beans, we're far enough along in beans, talking to enough producers that uh, it's not a disaster. There's some good bean yields out there, but in most cases, I'm going to say 80, 85% of the cases, they are well under a year ago. And so in my mind, the USDA probably has the biggest possibility 
uh, biggest probability um, of, of reducing bean yield slightly in coming reports. Um, corn, it's, it's kind of difficult. We haven't up in this part of the country, um, you know, the ice age, particularly, you know, for sure in Illinois, guys have been going after beans. They started on beans. It was kind of a weird year. The beans were ready. They were pretty dry, almost too dry in some cases, and guys were focused on bean harvest. So we haven't had a real good feel for, for corn harvest uh, results. What you do here is pretty good, better than expected, um, but I don't know if, it's, if we got deep enough into harvest to get a good feel. It's the earliest planted stuff, so you'd expect that that's going to be the best yields. I think you got to get in the last half of corn harvest and see how this late planted um, crop, the later planted crop, is going to hold up because in, in areas it got awful dry. We went through some heat in some areas. Uh, and then, you know, really the last 60 days here in big chunks of Indiana, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin have been awful dry, very minimal rain uh, in the last 60 days in many areas to finish these crops out. And so we don't know for sure how that's going uh, to hold. So, you know, just a summary, I, I would say I'm getting more confident in talking to producers that we've seen the highest bean yield estimate, and it can probably shrink from here. Corn, I think we just need more information to get deeper into harvest before we get a better feel for that. Okay. So you kind of touched on my next point there. So there's there's some pretty significant drought situations that are that are going to affect the markets one way or the other here so if you take a look like you just said in the corn belt uh there seems to be some pretty dry spots there for for as far as corn and no one really knows what that's going to look like till they get in the field and start cutting um you know south america they're having some issues getting the uh their bean crop in right now because the, the ground's so dry and and the situation there seems to be kind of in a standstill mode that no one's really jumping to do anything and it sounds like australia has a bit of a drought situation going on as well so if you start looking at you know the larger wheat production producing states and of course the the their areas and then the uh corn and soybean area that you're going to see down in um south america and then what's what maybe a little bit of drought we have in um the corn belt and then also in the dakotas as well with, with uh, what's going on up there do you feel like maybe once the uh the next yield estimate comes out from corn that they, maybe they're waiting for that and you could see a rally with, based on some of these um, drought est- kind of the, the drought situation you're seeing across the, the world? Yeah, and that is, that's a great point because that's much different than we faced, um, you know, probably for at least 12 months and, and really for 24 months. It's been pretty, um, pretty benign, pretty normal weather across many areas of the world and we've seen big crops as a result. So that's a little bit different now. And, um, you know, you, you, you touched on it. Canada's been, uh, you know, had issues with drought in the northern plains of the United States. Australia's very dry. Uh, Brazil's very dry. Uh, parts of Russia and Ukraine have been very dry. There's even been parts of, of the Chinese growing areas uh, that have been dry. And, you know, there's lots of people. I'm not a huge, um, you know, I don't put a lot of emphasis um, on weather because it can be uh, such a wild card but the, the um, I guess, early evidence is that we're maybe turning into a La Nina, which would drive some more erratic weather across parts of the world. Um, 
so yeah, absolutely. I think that is the, the difference. I think that's why the wheat market's trying to bottom. I think we're historically, even in big crop years, once October is, is in, uh, you know, we were into the month of October, you're getting very close to normal seasonal lows in corn and beans. So I think we're getting to the, to the point here where we're, you know, probably are close to seeing um, the worst in the rearview mirror here. And then it's just a matter of, you know, all right, how much rain do we catch here in the Midwest? It's awful dry. We're going to need more rain uh, either this fall, winter, uh, coming into spring, or we're going to, you know, not be in a very good situation subsoil moisture-wise. So, you know, there's all those questions there. And that's why I think it's going to lead to, um, you know, a, a nice bounce. I'm not saying you're going to 450 corn and $12 beans, but I, I certainly think there's going to be better price levels um, to sell in corn, beans, and wheat, um, you know, 60 and to, to 90 plus days down the road than there is right now. Yeah. So I've kind of touched base with some of my, my friends back in Kansas and they were, were talking to them and it sounds like they're struggling as well to get their wheat crop planted uh, with just the moisture. I think they got some moisture here last week. Maybe a lot of guys are out in the field planting right now, uh, reeling their wheat. So there, that's, that's one market I think that could use all the help you could give it is the wheat market. And it seems like it's just one bad day after another it seems like in wheat so what do you see as far as wheat goes and we've talked about like australia having drought and some of the black sea areas having drought too that are larger wheat producing parts of the world and, and how do you see that playing out and how do you see that affecting uh all the the carryover that we see piled up all over the the wheat belt yeah well we're slowly but surely um chewing through that our, our exports have picked up low prices are, are the result of that you know i mean it's just kind of a an economic fact. You keep prices low, you're going to increase demand. We've slowly seen that over the last 18, 24 months. Uh, also, the last three or four years, four years probably, uh, we've seen decreasing um, acreage, planted acreage, not just here, but across the world. And I think you're probably in for the fifth year in a row uh, in the United States. I don't see um, acreage expanding very much because of lower prices. And so when you get that combination of lower acreage, um, Good demand, increasing demand because of cheap prices, and now some weather issues popping up in different parts of the world, um, you know, it could lead to um, a rally down the road very easily. So I think all the pieces are starting to, uh, to fit that we could, uh, we could definitely see something like that down the road here. Um, you know, for sure, I think that the worst um, it, it is behind us, and we could see balances here. Um, we're more uh, competitive. We're, we, you know, as I mentioned, we're starting to, to sell more wheat. Um, you know, w with a dollar drop and transportation issues, we're one of the cheapest sources um, in, in, uh, of wheat in the world right now. That's helping out on the export side. So, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that, number one, you've, you've seen the worst of it in wheat. Um, and number two, we could maybe see bounces both in the Chicago and the Kansas City, um, you know, back um, slightly north. Say, call it five and a quarter for a round figure uh, for like 18 crop year, July 18 futures contract uh, months before those go off the board. And that's not just something to jump up and down over and wildly profitable, but it's for sure, um, you know, better uh, than what we've seen in the last several months here. We've kind of hit the gambit of the uh, the cash crops there. Let's take a look at the livestock market. How do you see it playing out with uh, the stuff that's happening in the Dakota as far as drought wise, and how's domestic demand, and and you know what's China the, with the kind of 
the official reopening of, of imported uh, U.S. beef back into China. What, what do you see? Uh, how are those things playing out, and what's that market look like? Yeah, so um, livestock-wise, I'll, I'll touch on the drought a little bit. It's certainly uh, a bad deal if you're in the middle of that, going through that. Uh, but the, the the market is so efficient. Um, there has been some some uh, stories and, and instances of um, you know cow herds that have been liquidated in the northern plains. Just you know, a lack of grass, a lack of pasture. Uh, but fortunately, you know, the the market is efficient in getting those moved. Um, you know, they're, they're typically either moved into the system or people from other areas of the country that have better, better grass and pasture and, and feed situations, uh, pick those, those cows up. So I don't think it's affected the numbers very much, but certainly it's not been good if you're in that, um, you know, area where you've been affected by that. So I don't want to minimize that. Um, big picture here. Cattle numbers have grown. Our cattle on feed reports last three or four months have shown bigger numbers. We just had a quarterly hogs and pigs report out last week. It showed bigger numbers for about the, uh, uh, I don't know, second, third year in a row. But despite that, we are really kind of getting through the worst of it here and handling those bigger numbers really well. I think domestically, demand uh, is pretty good. And I think more importantly, we are really doing a good job. Those, um, you know, each individual organization, whether it's, uh, you know, poultry, um, chickens, beef, pork, uh, we've done a great job of opening up our markets and, and, um, and, and getting good export sales out of there. And combined with the domestic demand, we're really moving and clearing um, a lot of meat. So that's a good thing. And, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good sign. You know, it's back to where the packers are making some money. Uh, we're back to where producers are making some money. And, you know, we're not just gouging the, um, you know, the end user there, the, the, the lady, uh, the housewife going to the store. Certainly beef prices are, uh, are on the high side, but, you know, they're well down from two years ago, three years ago. So, you know, I just think we're on a good footing here and we're looking, especially with cheaper feed grain um, prices, uh, at some better things down the road. In fact, you look out today, this wasn't, you know, two weeks ago, we were knocking on the door of, of $120 fat cattle out there in the deferreds. We've seen nice bounces in, in uh, hogs here off the lows and, you know, things look good. Profitability, I think, is going to be there. We're getting through the, uh, the higher production and I think that is maybe one bright spot that you have out here is um, the livestock uh, industry is set to maybe continue to, um, you know, expand profitability. So that's the, the maybe the bright spot here compared to the row crop guy that's still um, kind of, uh, you know, having a rough go of it. I think hogs and cattle both and even poultry, um, you know, are, are looking better, looking better than they have for, for a while and on pretty good footing out there. Yeah, so that's uh, that's probably one of the strongest markets we have right now uh, that we're dealing with with our customers that I deal with. Is our livestock market is is the one probably stable area that we can we can still approach customers and still do some stuff with them. So it is definitely uh, kind of holding its own, I guess. Um, so let's think. Let's look politically here. So you know, Trump's been in office now for what six months or so now, or whatever it's been, eight months, and um. What are you seeing on the farm policy side, or quite frankly, lack thereof, farm policy? Um, and, and how's that affecting the markets and, and how people are reacting to what, what they see out there? Yeah, kind of back where we, where we started um, out here, you know, on the, on the North Korea side, 
creating some uncertainty. I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty politically out there, um, you know, from a farm bill standpoint, from an ethanol standpoint. There's been some talk uh, about, you know, maybe allowing ethanol exports to count towards the renewable fuels mandate. Um, no confirmation on that. You know, we're going to redo NAFTA. Um, are we going to uh, tackle any type of trade issues with China? There's certainly a lot of un uncertainty out there. Um, you know, one of the frustrating things is out of Washington, it's just been totally gridlocked. Um, I thought maybe uh, with this new administration that um, things would move a little, little quicker. We'd get some stuff done, whether you agree with it or, or, or you don't. But it seems like it's gone the other way and it's, it's gotten even more gridlocked. So that's a little bit frustrating from the standpoint of we're just stuck in the mud here. Um, but there's a lot of uncertainty out there and, and nobody knows. It's a coin toss on some of this. I kind of take, you know, maybe a, a glass half full standpoint and say, well, hey, um, you know, this NAFTA thing, everybody assumes it's going to be negative. Um, obviously, Mexico is just a massive buyer of U.S. agricultural products, a massive buyer of corn, um, also, you know, beans, soy meal, uh, pork, uh, beef, uh, you name it. They're a big trading partner on the ag side. It'd be uh, really bad if, if something there got messed up. But what's to say it, it will? What's to say they won't agree on something, renegotiate some of those issues, and it actually becomes beneficial um, on the ag side? And, you know, likewise, the renewable fuels part. I know for a fact um, that uh, we've made a lot of inroads and, and uh, starting to see, um, you know, better ethanol exports. So that's a, a feather in the cap there of, of demand. Um, you know, China just announced they're going to a, a higher, um, you know, national ethanol blend. So, you know, I think there's some good things going on there, but on the pure political side, uh, it's a wild card, um, and, and which means uncertainty. And so that means some turbulence potentially when these things start hitting the headlines um, and you get some more details, it can definitely affect us and cause some volatility. Um, but it, how it how it all pans out is anyone's guess at this point. I'm just uh, I'm just a used equipment guy, so help me understand how <clears throat> how uh, ethanol uh, exports and going towards the uh, renewable fuel standard. How, how's that going to work together, and how are those things going to? How's that going to be a positive for? For I mean, obviously they're going to make more ethanol if they do that, but I mean, how big of an impact will that have on on the overall marketplace? Yeah, well, I think you, I think you've got two things going there. Um, uh, number one, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we've been increasing here over the years, um, and certainly over the last uh, year or two, our ethanol exports to other parts of the world. Uh, we've opened up those markets. That's a good thing. Um, that's just going to go and, and help solidify uh, the demand side of the equation. On the renewable fuels part, now, again, this, there's no confirmation out of this, but this was kind of hit the news here about a week or so ago. Uh, there was some talk that, um, you know, we've got a, a certain amount of renewable fuels that is mandated um, that these blenders um, put into our fuel stock. So there was, um, you know, I guess an idea run up the flagpole that since we are increasing our ethanol exports, that maybe they could use that towards um, the mandate that we have domestically. So actually, that could be a little bit negative to corn demand in the short run because it would, um, I guess, you know, relax the, uh, so, so to call, 
that relaxed the renewal fuel standard standard uh, domestically here. So there's a you know again there's a little bit of give and take with this, and nobody knows how this is going to pan out. Um, you know, net net, there, there's good demand there. It's not going to go away overnight. Exactly what they're going to do with the renewable fuel standard, if anything, still unknown. Um, and, and fluid, and that's going to change day by day and week by week. And, you know, if the history of the first several months of the administration uh, and the rest of Congress uh, pans out, it's likely nothing will happen. That's kind of the trend right now is a lot of talk and zero action. So we'll, we'll see how it, uh, how it all pans out. Yeah. That's the worst part of, of politics is the stalemates and stagnation and everything else that's there. So, um, exactly. Um, makes things pretty uncertain. So guys are, don't know which way to move and then they, so they don't do anything either. So, um, well, Chip kind of brings down the last point here. So I'm going to go out and start talking to some, some guys about what they're planning on, what their plans are for the coming year. Um, start talking about risk management. What are a couple things I should probably go out and talk to these guys about? And uh, what should I, how should I help them kind of start looking at their operations and, and managing the risk? Yeah. I, you know, I guess first and foremost, um, you know, what's, what's your plan? You know, we're set to harvest, uh, um, you know, a crop here. What's your plan on how we're going to uh, dispose of this crop? You know, what's uh, on-farm storage situation? And, uh, you know, we, we've got some real barge freight issues um, right now on the Ohio River due to, um, you know, I should say faulty, but um, repair uh, issues on uh, on locks on the Ohio River, uh, low water on the Mississippi River. Um, uh, you know, reducing the amount they can put on barges that go up and down the Mississippi River and basis has just imploded. So, you know, it just goes to, to say, hey, you got to have a plan for this stuff ahead of time. Um, you, you can't get to fall and say, all right, I got to move a bunch of corn. Uh oh, we're at 80 under corn basis. What do I do now? So you got to have a plan. You got to know what your financial numbers are and your cost structure. And, you know, I don't think it's too important uh, or too early. Uh, I should say, to be looking at 18 stuff. We're knocking on the door of $4 December 18 corn and, you know, just under $10 November 18 beans. And, um, you know, that's, um, you know, in the ballpark, uh, particularly if we get any type of bounce coming out of harvest, post-harvest, you know, you, you get uh, start talking about 415, 420 uh, December 18 corn futures and $10, you know, 10, 15, 10 and a quarter uh, November 18 beans, uh, I think a guy has to kind of sit back and say, all right, this might be in a big crop environment, numbers that uh, I want to start my uh, my marketing plan on. But you don't know that until you have a feel on what, what your, you know, what your plan is, what your cost structure is, and, uh, and, and how you're going to do that. So that's probably the most important thing is, you know, what's, what's your plan? What's your plan of attack? You can't just be left at the whim of the market and, um, and, and not know, or you're going to get caught up. For example, this, you know, this harvest issue I talked about with really poor basis. If you didn't have a plan of attack on, you know, number one, do I have enough on farm storage? Am I going to manage that correctly? Or I got to move some bushels at harvest. If you hadn't done that already, you're really behind the eight ball and it's, it is big dollars. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the potential 50, 60 plus dollars an acre swings in harvest basis here over the last few weeks 
And uh, it, it, you know, in, in this type of cost structure environment and lower commodity prices, that can mean the difference to of uh, hey, I'm making a little money, or I got an issue, and um, you know, my banker's going to have a problem with me. So it's very critical in this type of environment. Yeah. Um, well, Chip, I think we've kind of hit everything here, and I, thanks for being back on the podcast. If guys want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do it? Well, best way is just uh, call our office directly, and that's 309-550-7213. Okay. Well, I'll put that in the show notes so everybody can see it. Well, where are you at on on social media? Uh, well, we got a website. It's uh, com. We're also uh, on Twitter. Um, that's uh, Blue Reef Ag. And then we've also got a Facebook page, but I'd, I'd say probably the best uh, best place to kind of uh, watch us would, would be Twitter. We uh, post stuff fairly regularly there, um, you know, on different uh, market issues and, uh, and different charts. So, Okay, good deal. Well, guys, if you if you ever have a, a, an event where you're going to bring your top guys in and uh, top customers in and, and you're going to have, uh, have some speakers come in and talk about something relative – Bring bring Chip in. I've I've been in a couple of different situations where he's been speakers and and his he's, his information is great and it's it's uh it's not your typical uh, commodity report. So uh, think about that. Give Chip a call and get him in front of your customers. Chip, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, not a problem. Thanks a lot, Casey. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank uh, Chip Nellinger from uh, Blue Reef Agamarkin for being on this episode. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.